Remember, idolatry is giving loyalty to anyone or anything else with a loyalty that belongs exclusively to God. It's wanting anything in your life more than you want God. It's living your life without reverence for God and for what God has said. And tonight we're going to jump into our last session here on fighting to be free from idolatry and look at one more way we can fight to be free. Back in January, I did a sermon uh, towards the end of the month that I had entitled uh, Better Together in 2014. It was the membership sermon. I don't know if you remember that particular day uh, in January where I preached a sermon that really was meant to encourage our church family in faithfulness. And the, the essence of that sermon was that we can really do faith better together. We're not intended to do faith by ourselves alone. We're supposed to do this faith thing together and we'll be better together if we really strive together to walk with the Lord. And certainly I believe that that is true. And I want us tonight to focus in on that concept. Now imagine with me, you are in the middle of a huge natural amphitheater. It is a shallow valley surrounded by two mountains. On either side, you've got 3,000-foot mountains rising up. There's about a mile distance between the foot of those mountains. In the middle of, that, of those two mountains, you have a group of men, about 20,000 men right there in the middle. On one side of a mountain, Mount Ebal, you have hundreds of thousands of individuals. Directly opposite them on Mount Gerizim, you have an equal number of people. And so that's the scene that's unfolding when Joshua stands up with the 20,000 Levites right in the middle of that natural amphitheater and they together begin to voice out words from God for Israel right before they're supposed to cross in and take the promised land. On Mount Ebal, that was the mountain of curse, God's curses. And then you have Mount Gerizim, the mountain of God's blessing. You have six of the tribes of Israel gathered on Mount Ebal, six of the tribes of Israel gathered on Mount Gerizim. And then the Levites, 20,000 would begin to boom out in a loud voice the words from God for his people right before they're going to take the promised land. So you got these massive groups, both sides, the Levites booming out the words. Do you know what the first words from God for the people? You know what they were? Cursed is the man who fashions an idol. The work of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. So just imagine 20,000 men in their loudest, deepest voices booming out that phrase together right in the middle of this natural amphitheater about a mile wide with hundreds of thousands of people's 
on the hillsides of these mountains. Cursed is the man. This reverberates through this valley. And as soon as the Levites are done with this first phrase, all the people at that point are supposed to yell out, Amen! It's this, yes, we believe that. That is true. There's nothing more true than what you just said. And so you can imagine this, as I think about it, it's like the biggest pep rally in all of history. It's this, the biggest yell practice in all of history. I mean, that's what's happening there. You've got these cheerleaders, or if you're an Aggie, these yell leaders right in the middle there, 20,000 men leading this yell. And they say, cursed is the man who builds an idol and sets it up in secret. And all the people just scream out, that's right. It just reverberates through the valley. Can you imagine? And one curse after another is spoken by the Levites. And after every single one of them, the people just shout out, yes, yes. Can you imagine just the excitement and the thrill knowing they're about to cross in and take the land of promise. And they're having this major pep rally before they go in. And they're reviewing all the curses of God. If you do this, cursed are you. If you do this, cursed are you. And then they get to the end of the curses. And they then begin to review the blessings. The Levites, they scream out, blessed are you. If you obey the Lord, he's going to take care of you. Now, you can imagine that the amens during the curses were, were pretty significant. Can you imagine the roar when they get to the blessings? <clears throat> they, they're crying out, blessed are the ones who trust in the Lord. Their crops are always going to produce. Yeah, that's right, just bump. You, come on, crops are never going to. I mean, they're going crazy. Can you just see it in your mind's eye? Blessed are you if you obey the Lord. You will never experience drought. All the peoples around you will experience difficulty. You won't. I put my hand of blessing on you. You will be prospered. Yeah, this is awesome. He's just going crazy. You know what the last phrase is? After the Levites get done with the blessings. Do not worship other gods. And Joshua goes through a list of things that will happen to them if they turn to other gods. And it's a description of great destruction. I can imagine just a hush falling over this incredible crowd as they get to this description of the utter destruction that will fall upon Israel if they turn away to other gods. Joshua describes what it's going to look like. And he says to the people, If this destruction comes upon us, the people who are then living in the land that was supposed to be ours will walk by and see the destruction and they will say, what happened to this people? And this will be the answer. They went after other gods and worshipped them. Gods they did not know. even knew them. And Joshua ends this incredible moment 
with these words in Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. If your heart turns away and you will not obey but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you surely shall perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I'll call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. That was to be that final rallying point before they went into the promised land. And it was this message to Israel, you'll be better together. You see, Israel was supposed to love God, obey God, and hold fast to Him together. They were supposed to encourage each other and challenge each other and frequent God's presence together and to enjoy the blessings of God in the land in which He gave them. But instead of being better together, Together they headed into idolatry. And I'm all for the idea that we're better together. But I want to encourage you to see tonight that together is not always better. There are many times through scripture that we see together being the fast track into idolatry. I mean, the the story of Israel, which is an example for us, the New Testament tells us this whole Old Testament story is to help us as an example so we might avoid what they did. Well, if that's the case, we need to learn from what's being said there, and we can see that they were not better together in many situations. Many times, their togetherness was the reason they ran into idolatry. And it's simply not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to encourage each other. We're supposed to help each other be free from idolatry. We really are supposed to be better together, but but sometimes together is not better. But the New Testament tells us that there are moments when together is better. I mean, the Thessalonians, we just looked at that a couple weeks ago in chapter 1, how the Thessalonians turned to God from idols... 
to wait for the return of Jesus. I mean, that whole group in this incredibly hostile environment together says, we're going to follow God, we're going to wait for Jesus, even though it's going to mean incredibly incredibly difficult circumstances for us, we will wait for Jesus, and they do it together. We, we can be better together. We really can be. The believers in Ephesus, when they came to know Christ in that city that was full of idolatry, you know what they did? A bunch of them brought together um, all of their stuff having to do with idolatry and magic and sorcery. And they just piled it in a pile, this massive amount of stuff worth tons of money, and they just burn it into ash. See, we, we can be better together. There are times when together is not better, but that's not what God intends for you and for me. You look at the believers in Berea. The believers in Berea, you know how they came to believe in Jesus Christ? They presented the gospel and they said, hey, let's, let's get the Old Testament out and let's read this thing cover to cover and figure out if what they're telling us really squares away with God's word. And every single day they would together get with each other and study the Old Testament. And they concluded, because of their efforts together, that Jesus is the Christ. We really can be better together. So what is, what is the thing that makes the difference? If there are plenty of stories in Scripture that say to us that together is not always better, that sometimes together is this fast track to idolatry, but then there are plenty of other stories that say that together is better, not only do you have these stories in Scripture about better, uh, together being better, but you also have commands that can only be fleshed out when we're together. We have commands about the importance of being together in Christ. We have all these promises that are given to us that are directly connected to our togetherness in Christ in the church. So what is the difference? What is the thing that makes the difference between a together that is better and a together that is not better, that actually is an avenue for idolatry. See, I'm contending tonight that together is an essential way to fight against idolatry, but there's a distinction between togethers that we've got to make sure we identify and embrace or we're going to find ourselves in the togethers of life being led into idolatry when the togethers of life should actually be assisting us to say no to idolatry. So so what is the difference? Well, if we just start with the words of Joshua in chapter 30, he says to the people at the end of that passage, you need to love God. He, he says, here's your life. You need to love God. You need to obey God. You need to hold fast to God. And he's saying this to the nation of Israel that are gathered on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And I can just imagine after Joshua says, choose Today, life. Love God. Obey God. And hold fast to God. That at that moment when he ends that speech, I can just imagine all the people on Mount Ebal just like running down the mountain to get over to Mount Gerizim and saying, we don't want to be on the Mount of Curse. That's not where we want to be. 
And yet what did they do? Together they went right into idolatry. And, and it really all starts with this concept of loving God, obeying God, and holding fast to God together. You know what makes the difference between the togethers? If we are going to be better together in this place, fighting idolatry because we are together in Christ, then we must be a people who together are loving God, obeying God, holding fast to God. We we are a people who are making sure we are pressing into the presence of God together. We are urging each other into the holiness of God, the light of God that reveals all our sins. That we are pushing each other into the holiness of God and the grace of God and the gospel of God. And that we are constantly finding ourselves together in the presence of God. You see, if if our together does not regularly include a pressing into the presence of God. We will not find our together to be an essential weapon against idolatry. Let's think about our togethers. Some of our togethers. Every one of us has togethers that we experience every day of our lives. Let's just start with the first one of family. Think about the family. This is a very, very important together. I, I really am crazy about the idea of family and family being a sense of community. I mean, for a large part of my growing up life, I didn't experience anything remotely close to family that was community. And so for a lot of years, I longed for that. And and I'm just going to tell you, I love my family. I love my kids. I love Lindley. I love hanging out with my family. I love that Weston is headed home from college. Can't wait to see that guy. I can't wait to have our family dynamic back with all five of us there for a few months. I love our family trips. Some of our trips together and our experiences together, study leave and stuff like that, are some of the best memories and experiences of my life. I love our family. And the idea of family being a together is so biblically important. But I want you to recognize that family, at its best, that is devoid of regularly experiencing the presence of God together, that is void of experiencing the truth of God fleshed out together, that is foreign to the concept of being in the holiness of God together so that you are struck with your sin and your need for God's grace. Family that does not have the togetherness of experiencing God will essentially promote within that together a fast track to idolatry. I've seen it over the years, again and again and again. Young families in church, they got little kids, they're excited about the Lord, And over the years, as their kids grow up and they get involved in a lot of activities, what's happening in the home becomes devoid of a regular experience of the presence and the truth of God. And there's a shift that occurs in that home. 
And they begin to prioritize family time and family activities over church time and God-oriented activities. They begin to spend their resources on things for the family and they're not spending any of their resources on things that are exclusively for sacrificial support of the glory of God. They spend all their time on family things, and they're not connected to the things of God. And before long, they have distanced themselves from the church, and they're out doing all kinds of things every weekend with their family, and they have essentially created an idol out of their family. See, the togethers will either be an essential weapon against idolatry, or they will become the avenue through which we find ourselves in idolatry. And the distinction between the two is are we regularly experiencing the presence of God in our together? Think about the together of our friendships. We all have friendships in a lot of different places other than just our church. And certainly, I would hope that you have good friendships within the church. And that would be one of your ambitions. But I'm talking about any and all friendships, okay? So I've got some friends that are not in our church. Um, there, there are a, a number of guys who are pastoring in other places that I'm friends with, that I've been friends with, some of them for over 20 years. And every year we get together, we just got together this last weekend, and every year we get together at least once, some of us get together three or four times in a given year different conferences or events, things like that. And I love hanging out with those guys. I absolutely love those guys. It's so fun to talk to them. I mean, it's really nice to be able to talk to another pastor about life because they're living the same kinds of experiences as I am. And it's just nice to be able to talk to somebody that understands that kind of life. So it's really refreshing, really encouraging. You know, we didn't get together for a lot of years. I'm here to tell you, that if in those friendships we are not pushing towards experiencing the presence of God together, the holiness of God together, the overwhelming majesty of God together, then then we're more likely to become idolaters because we're together than to shun idolatry. See, because what we'll end up doing is when we get together, we'll talk about our churches. And, and, and we'll talk about the successes in our churches as if we were responsible for them. Or we'll talk about the problems in the churches as if you were responsible for them. And we become idolaters. I mean, you take a group of guys who likes to go hunting or fishing every year together. They go out in the sticks, they're around the campfire, they're hanging out shooting the bull, just having fun, talking about different things. They can have a great time. They can come home and feel so relaxed and energized. But I can guarantee you this. If those men never press into the presence of God, when they're together, those together moments will be moments that encourage those men to idolatry. You think about a group of young couples. 
and they have a lot of things in common a lot of times. They've got the same, same age kids. They're in the same stage of life. Maybe they've got similar jobs. They've got similar hobbies, and they start getting together to do life together because every young couple really wants community. They want to be connected with some other couples, and they really highly um, value the double click, you know, and the, the wife clicks with the wife and the husband clicks with the husband. That's very rare to get the double click. It's usually a single click, and one of them's like, I don't know if I want to go. And so if you get the double click, it's like we're in. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. But you, but you want to be connected. And so you start spending time together, hanging out together. You have so much fun together. You, you enjoy, you play games together. You have, uh, you, your kids get to get crazy and you get this relief for a little bit. And it's, it's somebody else's house that gets destroyed and you're really happy about that. I mean, it's, it's really good. But I'm going to tell you that those moments of doing life together will do nothing but encourage idolatry if you do not press into the presence of God regularly. You take a couple guys who are getting together because they really want to encourage each other in the Lord, and so they get together to talk about their lives and their marriages and their walk with the Lord, and they ask each other questions about what it means to follow Christ and hoping to encourage each other and hold each other accountable to their walk with the Lord. And and I'm not against that together. I'm for that together. But let me tell you, if that together does not involve and include a pressing into the presence of God and the holiness of God together, then what will happen in those moments is you'll be asked all these diagnostic questions on the weeks that you can answer them well. You're going to feel really good about yourself, but you may be lying to God. But because you're being evaluated by a person, you have voided the reality of the evaluation of God. And you need to press into the presence of God regularly so that the exposing, revealing light of God can shine on your heart that is darker than you would ever imagine unless His light shines on it. You you have got to press into the presence of God. To love God together, to, to obey God together, and to hold fast Him together in His presence. So what do we do? Somebody has to decide to say the hard things. I mean, somebody needs to be that person that says, I know this may feel like an awkward time, and it may feel kind of weird for me to say this, but I really want to just pray together. I mean, somebody needs to make a decision to say the hard things. You know, instead of just saying, how are you doing with your reading of Scripture? How are you doing with loving your wife? Why don't we just go ahead and admit that before the holiness of God, just one thimble full of the holiness of God, every measure that I should ask myself, I utterly fail. How am I doing Well, with what I'm doing with my Bible reading, if that was the only thing that God was going to base my eternity on, I'm going to hell. If God was going to base my eternity on how well I'm loving my wife right now, and that was the only factor, I'm going to hell. 
So what would really be really helpful is if in this moment of our recognition of who we are, that we just say, let's instead move into the presence of God, get on our knees and cry out to Him in repentance. Cry out to Him in confession. Ask His examining spirit to bring to our hearts and minds everything that's in us that's offensive to Him. And let's just cry out together. Somebody needs to say the hard things. And somebody needs to do the hard things. Instead of seeing your sister or your brother fall into sin or have you struggling in some way, instead of going and talking to somebody about them and maybe suggesting that you pray for them, maybe you should just go to that brother and sister and get on your knees with that brother and sister and confess your sins before them in the presence of God. Have you, have you ever been in the presence of God and heard somebody confess their sins to God? You, you cannot be there and not feel the need to confess your sins. Somebody needs to do the hard things. I mean, somebody in the family needs to say, we've got to pray together. We haven't prayed lately. Somebody in the family's got to say, we need to spend time huddled around the Word of God. Listen, I'm all for having fun and playing games and doing fun things and going on vacations and doing all the fun stuff that life affords us. But we have got to make sure that all of those things, we are regularly practicing the presence of God in our togethers or our togethers will lead us headlong into idolatry. We cannot for one second believe that the good things of our togethers are good by themselves. See, by themselves, left alone to themselves, all the good things in our togethers will lead us into idolatry. So slowly and so surely that we'll be deceived and we won't even know we're there. Somebody's got to say the hard things and somebody's got to do the hard things. Somebody in the friendship's got to say what needs to be said. You think about the together of our church. I mean, we have got to make sure that we are all coming into this place every single time we meet and we have this ambition, this striving, this earnestness to be in the presence of God, to hear His voice and to respond to Him, to make sure that we come in here and we are exposed by the presence of God to His grace and His righteousness, to make sure that we come in here and we will not leave this place until we've been gripped by God. If if we don't come at this together like that, you, you know what we'll become? We'll become a group of people that get together and sing songs and listen to some guy talk And we'll treat it like a religious routine. And we'll find ourselves arguing about the color of the carpet. The kind of tile we get. We'll find ourselves having conflicts over the kind of songs we sing and how we sing them. We'll start to base all of our decisions on preferences that are so far from the scripture that it's completely crazy and ungodly. We'll just be idolaters. See, somebody in the church has to say the hard things. Somebody in the church has to do the hard things. And what I'm saying, 
somebody. I'm not saying I'm the only voice that should be doing those things. We are all responsible for this together. We cannot for one second think that our togethers, as good as they are, cannot become a fast path to idolatry. We have to press every day regularly into the presence of God. When I was a kid, I would work some summers with my daddy's a landscaper, and he had me occasionally dig holes for trees. Imagine that. What am I going to do today, Dad? Dig a hole. Another one? Yeah. All right. Start digging away, you know, and it's a big tree, and so I dig as far as I can. Dad, I'm ready for that tree, and he'd come over there, and he would have this stick, and he'd measure the tree, stick the stick down, and he said, no, keep going. Oh, man, I've got to dig some more. And then it got close, you know, he'd let the tree down in there, and it'd be like, oh, no, we've got to get the tree back out. I've got to keep digging. It just felt like that was the worst memory, you know, always finding out you've got to keep on digging. And, and in reality, that is so much like our hearts. You see, over the last four months, I pray that you've been digging in the soil of your heart and removing some of that soil of idolatry, making room for the roots of God's presence. But I want you to recognize you'll never stop digging. You're never going to mine your heart of all of its idolatry and threats to idolatry while you're still living on this earth before Jesus comes. We have to make this our ambition every single day for the rest of our lives. And we can do this together. We can pray together. We can remind each other of the stories in Scripture and the stories of the past. We can, we can encourage you to give our lives away generously in battle against idolatry. We can be better together, but it will have to be every single Day, day in, and day out. And we need to remember that someday Jesus Christ is going to come. And he's going to remake this world that is right now full of idols. And he's going to remake our bodies that have been stained by idolatry. And on that day, we're going to find ourselves in a brand new earth that's never been used for idolatry in a brand new body that's never felt the sin of idolatry and we're going to be set free to worship perfectly for eternity. And so until that day, we need to, together, strive to be worshipers of God and God alone. We can be better together. And we can fight to be free from idolatry. And I'm glad we get to do it together. Amen.